Well, welcome to Sojourn. <clears throat> Glad that you're here this morning. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. And it's just good to be with you today as we sing together and get ready to open up God's Word. If there's uh, some moms here this morning, happy Mother's Day to you. We're grateful that you're here uh, to worship with us this morning. I'm not going to preach a Mother's Day sermon, uh, but I will uh, talk to you ladies in a little while at the end of the service. So, uh, to begin our time this morning, we're going to be in the book of Matthew as we have been over the last few weeks. So if you need a copy of the Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand? We'll have somebody bring a copy of the scriptures around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us out of God's Word. And if you don't own a copy of the scriptures, please always feel free to take that with you. Uh, that's our gift to you because we want you to have God's Word. So as we get started this morning, though, let me go to the Lord in prayer for us before we open up to Matthew chapter 5. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come before you, and uh, as Daniel reminded us this morning, our ability to come before you is not because we've done something to earn that ability. It's through Christ that we're able to do that. And so Lord, no matter what our week has been like this week, I pray that right now in this moment as we open up your word, that you would give us ears to hear. I pray that you'd give us eyes to see this morning, and that because of our time in your word, as it's preached this morning, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would transform us. That, Father, as we walk out of here, that our hope would not be in our ability to do something. Our hope would not be in the kind of life that we actually live, but our hope would be in Jesus. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would impress that on us today. And that we would grow closer to you, walk closely, more closely with you because we've sat under your word this morning. So we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the things I love about springtime is baseball. Uh, baseball's always been a part of kind of my family, my life. My dad grew up playing baseball. We watched a lot of baseball growing up. I played baseball, so I enjoy it still today to watch it, uh, go to games, watch them on TV. And, and something fun for me right now is I get to help coach Owen's t-ball team. He's in his second year of t-ball, and uh, it's both fun and funny. Um, because most of the kids don't really know exactly what they're doing. It's difficult to get the ball even to first base. But it's a lot of fun uh, just to work with those kids and, and talk baseball with them. But you know, one of the craziest things about baseball is actually being able to hit the baseball. I mean, you've got to think about, like, in professional baseball, you're standing up there with a bat, and someone's standing 60 feet, 6 inches away from you, throwing a small ball, small object at you, sometimes over 90 miles an hour. And what that means is it takes less than half a second for that ball to come out of their hand and get to home plate. And you're supposed to hit that thing. So, I mean, it's kind of crazy if you think about baseball players and what they actually have to do to be able to do that. Professional baseball players need to have really sharp vision to be able to actually do what they're supposed to do to hit that ball. And studies have shown that to be the case. 81% of pro baseball players have 2015 vision or better. 81% of pro baseball players. The average uh, vision uh, acuity, the vision sharpness for a pro baseball player is 2013 vision. The, the best possible vision you can have is 28 vision. So to have most of the baseball players almost have that kind of vision is crazy. Now a lot, a lot of you in the room are like, that would be insane. You've got like 2250 or something like that. It's hard for you to see anything without your glasses or your contacts on. But for baseball players, sharpness of vision is critical. You can imagine it's super helpful when someone's throwing a small object at you at high speeds. 
But all of us in this room, we have different, different vision sharpness, right? Some of you have great vision. Some of you have glasses. You have to wear glasses, and you've always had to do that. But the reality for all of us in this room is that at times, I think that we can struggle with seeing what's most important in life. We can walk through life with blurred vision. And today, as we get into our text, we're going to see that Jesus puts in front of us the most precious thing that we can see and how to see it. The most precious thing we can see and how to see it. But what we're going to see in this text is that the way to see is not through our eyes, but our hearts. Now, Jesus isn't anatomically confused. He he understands the human body. He created us. So he's getting at something a bit deeper here. And we shouldn't be surprised by that as we've walked through this series over the last few weeks. We've seen that Jesus oftentimes flips things upside down as he talks about his inverted kingdom. And so my hope is, is that we walk through this text today looking at another characteristic of God's kingdom people is that God's going to use this time to help us to to look at the state of our sight and the state of our hearts and show us what it looks like to truly see and pursue that which is most valuable, that which is most precious to us, namely Him. So may God bless the preaching of His Word this morning. If you haven't already, flip open to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be focusing in on verse 8 this morning. As we have been over the last few weeks, just looking at these first few verses one by one. It's what we refer to as the Beatitudes, these blessings that Jesus gives as he talks about the characteristics of his people who are part of his kingdom. We're walking through this series in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so we've been in this the last few weeks. So today we're going to focus on verse 8, but this morning I want to begin by just reading as we have the last few weeks, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. Seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When you go in to get a physical, if if you actually do that, you should do that every once in a while to go in and get a physical, get checked out. The doctor may perform a basic eye exam on you. You're not getting set up on a machine, but you're standing 20 feet away and you're looking at an eye chart. That's why we say 20-20 vision, saying when you stand 20 feet away, you should be able to see things that the normal person can see from that distance. So you stand there, you cover one eye up, you know the drill, right? You read off the letters on the chart. And that's a, a way to basically test your clarity of your vision, the sharpness of your vision. Well, in verse 8, Jesus mentions here both our hearts and our sight. And so what I want to do this morning as we walk through this text, kind of outlining this text, is actually walk through it as if we're getting a physical by the doctor. But we're only going to get two things checked out. We're going to get our eyes checked out and our hearts checked out this morning. So we're going to do an eye exam first and then a heart exam, but then I want us to ask two important questions. What's the connection between these two things, and what do I do with the results? We're going to look at our eyes, look at our heart, And then say, what's the connection between these two things and what do we do with the results? So to begin, we're going to start with an eye exam. Because Jesus says his kingdom people are blessed because they get to see God. They're blessed because they get to see him. So what does it mean to see God? To see God means to know him. 
It means that we get to be in his presence, to be blown away by his greatness, to experience his grace. It means to know God and be known by him. And we use this term to see in life now in a very similar way. We may go to a doctor's office and say, I'm here to see Dr. So-and-so. Now, the person at the reception desk doesn't just get out a picture and say, well, here he is. Right? What we mean is we're actually, we're there to talk to that person, to, to be in some kind of relationship with them, to actually be in their presence, to, to know them and be known by them. And so when Jesus is saying to see, he's saying that we get to see God, what means we get to know him, we get to be known by him. But as we've said over these last few weeks, there's, there's a now and a not yet aspect to the kingdom of God. Jesus is king and he's come, and so his kingdom has come. Yet we know that at the very same time that that his kingdom is not in its fullness right now. The kingdom of God rules and reigns wherever the king rules and reigns. But we know that we live in a world that still that darkness exists, brokenness exists. Because the kingdom of this world is still seeking to assert itself. And it's fighting a losing battle. We know that. Jesus says that he will come again and the fullness of his kingdom will come. But right now we live in this now and then not yet. We get to experience parts of the kingdom but not the fullness of the kingdom. So we have to keep that in mind because when Jesus says that his kingdom people will see God, that means that there's both a now and a not yet to that. And what that means is that there's a spiritual and a physical aspect to what Jesus is talking about. You and I can see God now. We can see him now. But the way that we see God now is through his word and through his works We can open up the living and active word of God. We can open up the scriptures and and from the scriptures we can see God. We can learn about him. We can see his character and his attributes and his majesty and his beauty as we flip through the pages of scripture and we learn about God. This is God's living and active word. It's not just some dead book. The Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the scriptures and through them now we can interact with God from his word that still speaks into our life right now. We can see God and experience his grace through the word as we recognize the ridiculous and unfathomable reality that the transcendent God, the God of all creation, the God who is other, the God who created everything, not just you, but all the world and all the universe cares for you. He cares for a finite people and he cares down to the very level of an individual, a finite person. He cares for you. That's crazy. But we learn about that God. We get to know that God through his word, which tells us about him in it. So we can see God through his word. We can also see God through his work. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The heavens, the sky, everything, it it declares the glory of God, the the weightiness of God. So when we look around, we think about glory. Glory means the weightiness. We feel the impact of who God is as we just go out and look at creation and take time to step away from our phones and actually look up and look around. We can see God through that. We can see him through his providence in our lives. When he works through circumstances and situations and relationships and conversations, even if those are difficult things. We, we can see God working through a sermon that's preached or a song that's sung or a song that you hear. We can see him and experience him through those things. But our sight now is incomplete. It isn't full and it can't be right now. See, if we see God face to face right now, we would be consumed by his glory. 
When Moses asked to see God's glory, God said to Moses, no one can see my glory and live. And so God hid Moses in the crack in a rock and he he allowed his glory to pass by him and then he let Moses see just the remnants, just the tail end of his glory. And when Moses just saw a little bit of that tail end of his glory, his face still glowed from that. Literally, his face shined because he'd just seen a tad bit of the glory of God. But if he had seen him face on, if he had seen the fullness of God's glory, it would have consumed him completely. So there's an incomplete list to the ability that we have to see God. But one day, one day, God's people, you and I, if we know Christ, if we've been united to him by faith, we'll be able to see God in all of his glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 12 talks about this. The Apostle Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. Paul looks forward to that day when he'll stand face to face with the living God and know him fully and know that he'll be fully known and not be consumed but be welcomed into his presence. Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 through 4, the apostle John is talking about the new heavens and the new earth and we're standing with God. He says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants, his people, will worship him. Then it says this, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And the greatest gift for any person that's ever has existed, exists, or or will exist in the future is to be able to see the living God. To actually be able to see him. And God's kingdom people can see him now in a spiritual sense, an incomplete sense, but one day we'll see him in the future in a very physical sense being in his actual presence. So let me ask you a question this morning then. How is your sight? How's your sight? Are you seeing God in your life right now? Because God is present and God is active and God is working and God is moving in your life right now, but are you seeing him? Are you seeing him? This leads to the second part of our exam, our heart exam. In the first part of verse 8, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. So we need to ask another question. What does Jesus mean by heart? He isn't talking about your anatomical heart, which beats and allows blood to flow throughout your body. When the scriptures refer to the heart, they're talking about the center of the person. The the heart for you, your heart is where the motivational structures of your life reside. It's a combination of your mind and your will and your emotions all coming together to really make you who you are. You do what you do as it flows out of your heart. So then what is a pure heart then? He says it's blessed are the pure in heart. A pure heart is a heart that's unstained and untainted and clean. To have a pure heart is to have your mind and your emotions and your will aligned and right. To to be singly focused, have complete devotion, undivided attention. A pure heart is not about purity in a particular area of your life. A lot of times when we use the word purity in the church, we always refer to or think of it in relation to sexual purity. Am I living a pure life? And it certainly includes that. That's important. God calls us to that. But that's not the totality of what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking merely about sexual purity. That's not what he says. He says the pure in heart. See, to be pure in heart is to have purity exist in all of life. 
It's not being taken in by the things of the world. It's having undivided allegiance to Jesus. Following the King. Walking in His ways. So that means then that the pure in heart are those that are poor in spirit. Those who mourn. Those who are meek. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are merciful. Because the pure in heart seek the King. They see Him and they follow Him and they long to walk in His ways in all of life and not be taken in by the things of this world. So if that's the definition of what a pure heart is, what's the opposite of that? And I think this can be helpful for us as we're trying to assess our own hearts, try to examine our own hearts. What's the opposite of a pure heart? Well, the opposite of being pure in heart is to be double-minded. James chapter 4, verse 8, James says, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So James is saying the opposite there of having a pure heart is having double-mindedness. And what does it mean to be double-minded? To be double-minded then is to have divided allegiance, a divided devotion, a divided mind, divided emotions, where you're controlled and swayed by your emotions, a divided will. It's saying one thing and doing another. It's being torn between the ways of God and the ways of this world. So let me ask you another question. How's your heart this morning? Is it pure or tainted, Focus, focused or divided? But see, this leads to the bigger question for us this morning of how are these things connected? What's the connection here between Jesus talking about seeing God and having a pure heart? He says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Why does Jesus connect these two things? I mean, physically speaking, we don't normally associate our sight, our ability to see with our heart. So, so why is Jesus connecting these two things here? What's he talking about? Now, we need to remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking primarily to his disciples, to his people, those that are following him. He, he's talking, about, talking to them about the ways of the king and his kingdom. And, and the way that Jesus does that so often, as we'll see, is he flips things upside down compared to what these people have come out of. So if we go back to chapter 4, we see that, that Jesus calls some of his first disciples. They walk away from everything to follow him. And so in this moment, he's speaking to these people and he's talking to them about this new life they have with him. So we have to keep that in mind. Because see, the physical world that Jesus lived in at this time was, was very religious. Was very concerned with knowing and experiencing and seeing God. And oftentimes they connected a pure life with seeing God. The Jewish religious leaders of that day, they, they wanted to know God. They wanted to be close to Him. But the way that they did that, the way that they sought God, was through their outward performance, through their behavior. They were concerned with a pure life, but they did it by making sure that their outward appearance was good. That when people saw them, they would say that they're godly. They must be close to the Lord because look at what they're doing. So they promoted following rules. Follow rules and you can see God. Be a good person and you can see God. Give lots of money and you can see God. Eat the right food, dress the right way, say the right things, and you can see God. So we have this religious world that Jesus is speaking to these people in who were concerned about living a good life. But at the very same time, Jesus' world was also very irreligious. There was something called Stoicism, which was popular in the Roman Empire. The Stoics believed in a moral good for society and culture. It was good to be a good person. It was good for everyone. But it was devoid of knowing God or pursuing God. 
The Stoics emphasized and elevated human virtue. They emphasized improving individual ethical and moral well-being, and they, they sought to overcome what they would refer to as destructive emotions in your life. They saw personal self-control as one of the most prized personal attributes that a person could have. But see, whether religious or irreligious, the emphasis was always on the outward life, not the inward life. It was what you did with your life. It's what you, how you behaved, how you acted that mattered most. And see, you and I can do the same thing today. Whether we do it through a religious route or an irreligious route, we all have rules and, and behaviors and moral values that we promote and say, those are the things we have to do. And if I do those things, then I'm good. And we can compare ourselves against those around us. I'm not doing what that person's doing. I don't follow that politician or that political view or whatever it happens to be. And so therefore, I'm good. So we can fall into this trap of doing the same thing and promoting outward, our outward life and not thinking about the inward life. But see, that's what Jesus is doing here. And that's what he'll do throughout Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He takes common understandings, common knowledge that people have, and he flips it on its head. Because see, it isn't about living a pure life. That's not what Jesus is concerned about here. It's about having a pure heart. Because the reality is it's from a pure heart that a pure life flows. See, Jesus is making something very clear to his people and to the world and to us. If you want to see God with your eyes, in a very physical sense, if you want to stand before the face of God and see him with your eyes, it starts with seeing him through your heart. It begins there. It's the only way to see him. And over and over again in Jesus' ministry, he confronts the temptation that so many of us have. That we believe that how we live is what matters most to God. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe it makes you a little nervous for me to say that God doesn't care about how you live. That's not his primary concern. But see, you and I can be tempted towards externalism. Tempted to believe that it's just about what we do on the outside that matters most. And so we see Jesus confronting this over and over again throughout his ministry. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And then in Matthew chapter 23, he confronts directly the religious leaders of his day. And he says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. You blind Pharisees. You're not seeing me. First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. See, it's from a pure heart that a pure life flows. Any kind of purity that you seek to pursue on the outside and the way you live is not going to be sustainable. It's not going to be significant because it's not flowing from the right place. So how are these things connected then? Jesus is saying very clearly, it's only the pure heart that will see God, not those that appear to have a pure life or appear to have good morals or appear to do good things in the world. This is so counter to the way that the world thinks. It's like going to the doctor's office and getting a physical, and the doctor's saying to you, hey, as you stood on that 20-foot line, you had some problems with your sight, and so what we're going to do is we're going to crack your chest. We're going to do some heart surgery on you today. I mean, you would run away from that doctor, right? Like, I don't know what you're doing, man, but that's not, those two things are not connected. And so we could hear Jesus saying this, 
say, I don't get the connection. I don't get seeing. I don't get the connection to your heart. But that's exactly what he's saying. It stems from what's going on in your heart. So we have to understand what he's connecting here, how he's connecting those things. But we also need to be careful because what I don't want us to do this morning is I don't want us to hear this and go, okay, I get it. A pure heart leads to a pure life. A pure, pure heart means I get to see God, so let's get after it. So let's make my heart pure. What do I need to do to do this work, to make it that way? Because see, when we do that, even in a good pursuit of our hearts, we can miss the true heart of the issue. Remember, purity of heart has to do with single-mindedness. Undivided attention, undivided devotion. A pure heart is to have your mind and your will and emotions rightly aligned, unstained and untainted. So the pure in heart see God as a person to be loved. Their first priority is Him. This this love then leads to loving others while doing things that flow from that. As we see the God of all creation, as we set our hearts on Him. See, at its core then, having a pure heart has to do with relationship first. Relationship with God and with people. See, when we're pure in heart, we're utterly sincere in all our dealings. Our whole life, both public and private, are transparent before the Lord and before others. When we're pure in heart, there's no deception, no facades, no fakery, no pretending, no pretense, no presumption. Man, how few of us actually live like that. We struggle to be real with people, but we also struggle to be real with the Lord. And we're often captive to fleeting and flittering emotions. And so we stiff arm God and we walk out in relationships. We're often concerned with what others think about us. And so we put up fronts and facades to appear a certain way. We're often distracted from having a single-minded focus of loving God and loving others. And it's difficult to be single-minded in a highly distracted world. A friend of mine, Sean, this week asked me, he said, hey, I know when you preach sometimes, like, what you're preaching on, God, like, makes it really clear to you that week where you're struggling in your own life. So what's, what's that for you this week? And I was telling, I was like, man, that, yeah, you're right. Like, if a, if a pure heart is a single-minded focus, I've been so distracted this week. It was distracting writing this sermon. It's distracting riding around Northern Virginia thinking, is there something else I could do to make more money just to live a comfortable life? Because this is hard. Pastoring. Preaching. Man, that's a divided mind. It's a divided heart. It's not pure. It's not set single-mindedly on the Lord. We live in such a distracted world. See, I think a lot of times we can be like those people who you're talking to and you're talking with, but they're not looking at you. They're looking past you. You you know what I'm talking about? Like you're having a conversation with somebody and you're talking with them, but you see their eyes are not looking at your eyes. They're looking over your shoulder. Maybe you're some of those people. I know I've done that before. I'm talking to someone and I'm kind of distracted. I'm kind of, uh-huh, yeah, right, but I'm looking around. See, I think a lot of times we can do the same thing with the Lord. We can be talking with Him, seeking to engage with Him, but very much looking past Him. Distracted by the day, distracted by the week, distracted by something else going on in our life, and we're not actually seeking Him. We're looking to something else. Maybe you've been distracted this week with the worries of the world. Maybe you were distracted today as you came to gather with the church. Maybe you're distracted right now. But what do we do with this then? What do we do with these results as we see, okay, I get my heart, my single-minded focus on the Lord, and we find ourselves wanting in that. We find ourselves distracted. What do we do with that? Mark chapter 2, 
verses 16 and 17, there's this scene with Jesus and he's, he's, he's called a disciple to himself. He's called Matthew to himself and he's hanging out with sinners. He's hanging out with tax collectors, the unrighteous people. And so the religious leaders of the day, they're concerned with outward behavior. It says this about them. It says, And the scribes of the, and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating, when Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, they were concerned. They were thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? You can't, if you want to be close to God, you have to live a pure life. And this isn't pure because you're hanging out with impure people. So what are you doing, Jesus? But then when it says this, when Jesus heard it, when he heard what they said, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, the Pharisees were only concerned about their outward appearance with appearing to be righteous with doing righteous things and they thought that they were doing good and being close to God in that but they missed the whole point they thought if you were hanging out with sinful people then that was going to make you a sinful person and separate you from God yet here is Jesus God in flesh hanging out with those people see Jesus says I came for those who acknowledge that they're sick in heart I came for those who acknowledge that they need help and that's where all of us have to begin See, corrective measures don't come from getting prescription lenses so that we might see better. They come from getting a new heart so that we might know and love better. And just like you can't perform actual open heart surgery on yourself, you can't fix your divided heart and make it pure. But I have good news for you today. Our God is a great physician. He's a great physician of the soul and he is excellent at heart surgery. So how does this work? The first thing is that we need to come before him for examination. We need to actually come before him and be examined. Psalm 139 is a prayer. And one of, the, one of the aspects of this prayer before the Lord is something that I think all of us can come before the Lord to allow him to examine us. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. The psalmist writes this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We can come before the Lord and say, search my heart, know my heart. You know it better than I do. Would you examine me? You're the physician. I'm not. Would you examine my heart? See, I think the reality is, though, for a lot of us, we can be like those people who have a, a hurt knee or hurt back and they've been coughing chronically, but they don't ever actually go to the doctor they keep walking around, ah, I know something's wrong. I know I should go get that checked out, but I, I just don't, I don't go. Maybe because it's a fear of what might be said to them by the doctor, what the doctor might actually find. And we can do the same thing with the Lord. We, we know something isn't quite right within us. We feel distracted or distanced from him, but we don't actually come to him to ask him about it. But we don't come to him to, to allow him to examine our hearts, to press in on us, because I believe we're worried at what he might find or what he might say to us. But listen to me this morning. God is not a doctor with bad bedside manner. He will not berate you. He does not shame you. Our God is a good father who loves you and cares deeply for you. He wants you to be close to him. He cares for your heart. He cares for your soul. And he has open arms, not a scolding finger, for the broken and the hurting. See, when we come before him for examination and we're open and we're honest with him, listening to him, we can take his hand and begin to follow him into life and out of death. 
but we have to come before him honestly and open ourselves up, lay down on that examination table because it's there that actual change can take place in our hearts. So come to him for examination. Secondly, yield to him for surgery. Yield to him for surgery. So a lot of times you could go to the doctor, you can get the examination, you can even get the diagnosis, and they say, well, what we need to do is we need to operate. We need to do surgery. And you can say, not interested, and you can walk out. But see, when we see we get an examination taking place, we then need to yield ourselves to surgery. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 and 26 say this. I will, this is God speaking to you. Listen to his word to you this morning. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. From all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is the promise of God for you this morning. And he made it a long time ago. See, God is a heart surgeon, and he isn't in just to fixing hearts. He's into replacing them. Actual heart transplants. Because our hearts, untouched by God, are in and of themselves hard and dead. The eyes of our heart are blind. They can't see God or know God because they don't want him or love him. They're infected totally and completely. But God, in his mercy and grace, doesn't leave us to our dead hearts. He promises to change them. See, your heart and my heart are dead because of sin, because of rebellion against God and his ways. And we inherit this disease from the moment we're born. No one is without it. All of us are the walking dead. So in order for you to have new life, you have to have a new heart. In order for you to have a new heart, your sin has to be dealt with. But again, we can't do this on our own. We can't make ourselves alive again. If we're physically dead, if we're spiritually dead, we can't do that. We can't perform open heart surgery on ourselves. But God can. And he's made a way to make it possible. It's the truth of the good news of the gospel that we talk about so often here at Sojourn. What this church is about. When you walk in the, into this room this morning, there's something in the hallway that says we want to we exist. We exist for the glory of God to make disciples, people, followers of Jesus who know the gospel, who know the good news and then live out the implications of that good news and then go share that good news, go share that gospel with other people. That's what this church is all about. And the gospel is the reality, as one pastor says, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. You are worse than you think. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. See, Jesus went to a cross to take on our sin, and he died in your place as a substitute for you, and then he rose again from the dead. But the reality of what that means for you and for me is that when Jesus died, you died. And when Jesus rose again to new life, he made new life possible for you. But then check this out. In Acts chapter 15, verse 8, Luke writes that God knows the heart. He knows the heart. God's interested in your heart, but then in verse 9 it says that God cleanses your heart by faith. By faith. It's not something you do on your own. It's not something you can change or transform on your own. God does that work by faith. So I want to encourage you this morning, by faith, to yield to him. Yield to him for heart surgery. You can do that with David. David in Psalm 51, recognizing the brokenness of his life, recognizing the reality of his life and the brokenness of his heart, says this. He cries out to God. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
Create a clean heart in me, O God. He understood, I can't do this. I need God to do this in me. So we have to cast ourselves on his grace. God must do this work in us. So we can ask him to implant and nourish the characteristics of the kingdom in our life by giving us a pure heart so that we can know him and see him. So will you ask the Lord to do what only he can do today in your life? In Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says that Jesus, our God and Savior, gave himself up for us for a reason. He gave himself for us to redeem us, to rescue us from sin, and then to purify a people for his very own possession. Purify us. As one pastor says, Jesus did not come into the world simply because we have some bad habits that need to be broken. He came into the world because we have such dirty hearts that need to be purified. So come to him for examination. Yield to him for surgery. And then lastly, open your eyes. Wake up from that surgery. Open your eyes and seek him now and forever. See, when you and I come close to the thing, every, come close to the king, everything changes. Everything changes for you. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, uh, the Apostle Paul writes this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see what Paul's saying there? I've been crucified with Jesus. I've died. I got operated on and my heart got taken out. And the heart of Christ got put into me. This is now Christ who lives in me and through me. That's true for you this morning. If you've been united to Jesus by faith, that's the most true thing about you this morning. That the heart of Christ is in you. He's transforming you. He's making you new. And see, when your hearts have been made pure, then you can seek him now and forever. I mean, what a gift that God gives us that ability to do that. You see, you and I, though, we still live in that now and that not yet. But that means that you and I still struggle with sin in our life. We still struggle with being rebellious. We still struggle with having a divided heart. But that won't always be the case. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, the Apostle John writes this, Beloved, we are God's children now. That's good news. You are God's child now by faith. But then he says this, And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. But then he says this, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is our future hope, Sojourn. But we have to get what John's saying. As we await for the return of Christ and we'll be able to see him fully with our eyes and be made fully like him, we seek to be pure as he is pure. What this means is that our hearts are made pure by Jesus and then they're made pure for Jesus. And this gets to this paradox, this beatitude. See, it's that we, as we continue to have pure hearts that see God, is to see God. That's the way that we're going to go about doing that. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Do you get what Paul's saying there? As we see the glory of Christ, as we read his word, as we experience his grace in our life, as we fix our eyes on him, we are changed to be more like him. And as we are changed to be more like him, we want to see him more. We want to be closer to him. In other words, we purify our hearts when we draw near to the pure king. 
It's what the author of Hebrews is getting at in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those that have walked closely with Jesus, he says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Then he says this, looking to Jesus. Some translations say fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus, Jesus who with joy went to the cross. Do you believe this morning Jesus' joy in going to the cross wasn't just so that he got to sit at the right hand of the Father, wasn't just that his glory was restored, that the joy of him going to the cross was seeing you get saved. That he, he knew what he was doing as his hands and his feet were nailed, as his blood was shed. He had your name in mind, your life in mind, to transform you, to make you new. That's the joy Jesus has. And so now when we look to Jesus, we say, yes, thank you. Praise your name, Jesus. When I focus on you, when I fix my eyes on you, then I'm able to walk in this new life that you've given me. As we fix our eyes and our heart, the eyes of our heart on Jesus, we become more like him because we recognize that he's worthy of all of our worship and he's worthy of the entirety of all of our life. As we walk closely with the king and his kingdom, our eyes fixed on him, that's where we experience freedom in this life. There's, there's no more fear, no more shame, no more earning, no more performing, no more pretending. Freedom, freedom to be who you are because you're walking closely with him. So hear this this morning. If you're struggling right now, you're here this this morning, Jesus speaks purity over your heart and your life right now. He speaks purity over you. What I mean by that is that if you're in Christ, if you're united by, by faith in him, you're not captive. You're not captive to any impure thought or action. Nothing rules over you if you're in Christ. Because when you died, when Jesus died, you died. When Jesus was raised, you were raised. And he's given you this new heart and he's continued to transform you. He's set you free from the law of sin and death. And he's given you the ability now to fix your eyes on him and follow him in all of life. So keep your eyes on Jesus. See, the amazing hopefulness of Matthew 5, 8 is that the pure in heart see God with the eye of faith now, but one day with our very own eyes, redeemed and restored and made new, we will see him in his unfading and unhindered glory. Man, what an amazing truth. What an amazing reality. But friends, don't miss Jesus today. Don't miss him today. A lot of people in Jesus' day saw Jesus. They saw him, but they didn't see him. They they saw him walking around. They saw him performing miracles, but they didn't know him and they weren't known by him. They didn't see him. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they searched the scriptures looking for God in that. All the scriptures are about Jesus, so they're looking at the scriptures, but Jesus says, you don't see me in this. Don't miss Jesus today, friends. We can have eyes, but be blind to see God. Helen Keller, who was born blind, said this, better to be blind and see with your heart than have two good eyes and see nothing. Man, we don't want to miss that. The eyes of your heart, you can see the Lord. So come before him for examination, yield to him for surgery, and then open your eyes and seek him now and forever. Sojourn, fight the fog of this world. 
fix your eyes on the pure king in all of his glory and all of his beauty so that you and I might have hearts that see. As we come forward for communion now, I just want to invite you to come forward. I want to invite you to come and and tear off a piece of the bread and take a cup to drink and hear afresh this morning what Jesus has done for you, what he purposed with joy to do for you, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. But then I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to take some time Take some time, maybe it's 30 seconds, maybe it's a few minutes, to allow this truth to expose the reality of your heart. The truth that Jesus had to die for you. I mean, that's intense. Romans 5, 8 talks about that. Maybe for a good man we would die. Maybe for a righteous man, but Christ died for you while you were a sinner. Allow that truth to expose your heart this morning. The reality of your heart, but then pray that God would search you and know you and lead you in the way everlasting. See, sojourn, communion is a means of grace to help us do that, that the eyes of our heart might be open to behold the greatness and the glory of our God who loved us and gave himself for us. And if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, I just want to ask you not to come forward to take communion. This doesn't mean anything or do anything for you if you don't know Jesus, but I want to invite you to become a Christian today, to trust in Christ Not to say with your mouth that you're a follower of Christ. Not to say with your mouth that you're a Christian. But to actually give your heart to Christ. Say, I I know I have a heart of stone. I need you to give me a heart of flesh. And you can do that this morning by just hanging out in your seat and praying. Asking God to save you. Believing that Jesus had to die for you and rise again from the dead so that you could know God. Maybe you've heard that a thousand times. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time this morning. But if you don't know God yet, if you don't know Christ yet, I want to invite you to become a Christian today. There's no better time to do that. And if you have questions about what that means to to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to know that you have salvation, come and talk to me. Come and talk to anyone at this church. That's why we're here. We want you to know Christ. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or to the back and come when you're ready. And then let's continue to worship together. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we just come corporately. I just want to come on behalf of the church corporately and come before you and ask that you would examine us. Would you you search us and know us? Would you show us if there be any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting? Father, good God, great physician, would you change our hearts? Would you transform us? If there's people in here this morning that need a new heart, would you bring that about today? If there's those of us that this morning know that we're living where we have a divided heart, not that single-minded focus, would you transform our hearts today that we might be single-mindedly focused on you? Help us to fix our eyes on you today and tomorrow and this week and this month. Help us to help one another to do that, to be a community and a family together that seeks to fix our eyes on Jesus. We want to see you. We want to know you. And we want to be known by you. Would you do that work in us today for your glory and for our good? We pray this in Christ's name who makes this all possible. Amen.